Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. I'm Randy, and today my guest is Catherine Calver. Catherine is the CMO at Coros. And I gotta be honest with you, when I heard she was joining, I was really excited looking at her background and her path coming from PR. And at the same time, I had no idea who Coros was. The more I dug in, I realized that this was a company bringing together two massive brands in both Lithium and Spreadfast, brands I knew and now under a new brand name. And it got me excited because it meant we could chat all about this idea of rebranding at the scale that they're at. To give you perspective, this was two companies, each at about 100 million in revenue, 600 employees. That's a lot of people to get on board. And she shares learnings from that path, including hers and joining and making that argument to P-backed venture. This is a great podcast, no matter what stage you're at, to think about the power of your brand and the path forward that's going to make most sense to grow. Catherine, thanks so much for finding time to chat with us. I can't wait to hear about how you landed with Koros, but even just what the company was when you joined, because it wasn't called Koros. So what was it that drew you into this opportunity? Well, so I joined Koros, and Randy, it's so nice to be here. Thank you for the invitation. I'm so excited to join this uh, illustrious podcast. You've had some great guests, so thank you. Um, I joined Koros before it was Koros. To your point, we created that uh, just about two years ago, and I've been with the company three years. I joined a company called Lithium, which was a pioneer in creating communities and social care, so customer engagement, creating peer-to-peer support spaces. I'd been a customer, and so that was really appealing to get to work at a company where I knew the product, I'd been a user, I really understood the value prop. I spent um, 10 years as the head of marketing for a portfolio accounting software. So it was very appealing to go to a company that made something that I was a little more connected to in my day-to-day life. That's great. And and I want to go back in your career a little bit because this idea of being in something, as you said, that, that was so connected to you and you could relate to, had passion for, how did you prioritize that perhaps in the earlier part of your career when you know some of these opportunities maybe you didn't love the brand in the same way but yet you were in communication role so how did you how did you find love without love for the solution right so i do so in case any of my old colleagues are listening i did love like i've loved every place i've been to and i think that is super important as a as a marketer and a storyteller if you can't find your way in to making it meaningful then it's it's going to be a real drag. I do I did kind of grow up in the communication side. I um, my first real gig was as a speechwriter. I didn't even know what marketing was, but I was really interested in technology. So I I found an opportunity to work in marketing communications, and the first thing they had me do was go write rewrite all this the collateral, which is a really good way to learn uh, what a company does. 
Um, and I think that curiosity, if you can find, if you can find the thread, that's what's helped keep me inspired. And so that opportunity to think about complex problems and figure out how to make them understandable, relatable, con- you know, connected to, uh, to the end customer, that's always intrigued me. To your point, you know, some of it was, I've worked in back office retail technology. I worked, I spent 10 years in portfolio accounting uh, software, but even in that, nobody really cared about my point of view on how we represented credit default swaps reporting, but I could connect to the electricity of financial services, the hard work our customers had of trying to connect these really um, complicated data points from old antiquated systems and make them easy and accurate and relatable to really demanding customers that that the heart of that problem making their lives easier was really important to me so while i've worked on some some sexier technology and some very unsexy technology i think for me um, coming, you know, as a as an English major way back, and a and a person who loves stories and and um, and telling stories, the common thread has been uh, working with smart people on complex problems and figuring out how we can help businesses to make more money, keep their customers, find new customers, um, and create customers for life, which is also our core tagline. So, so you're obviously a very driven individual. I, you only get to a CMO level with drive, but I'm curious, 20 odd years ago, you're sitting there going through collateral. I don't know if that was at Pfizer or what company it was at at the beginning of your career. Were you thinking to yourself, I, I got to find my path to be a CMO. And if, if not then, when was it that you realized that that was a possibility? You know, I, I think about that, Randy, and I don't even know if I had advice for, for folks who were at that same, you know, marketing manager level, I remember, I don't even think I had that aspiration yet. So I, you know, my counsel was be bold and think about that. Uh, if you are looking around an org, look for the people whose careers look interesting to you. Um, that helped me think about, oh, okay, well, that's that. I, I love what she's doing or he's doing. How do I get there? And then the pieces kind of fell in from there. So it took me a little while to have the confidence in myself, honestly, to say, yeah, I can be an executive. And, and the obvious place would be chief marketing officer. And the biggest piece I had to, uh, or the biggest bridge I had to cross in that journey, I think, was really marrying the data side of the work of marketing to the business, right? How do I prove um, the value of the work we're doing as a marketing team? And that's where I do get a little, one of my bugaboos is this idea of like, are you, especially in B2B marketing, Randy, and I know most of the folks Absolutely. that uh, you work with are on the B2B side, but what I do love about it, once I, once I finally dug into the data and got myself comfortable in the measurement side of things, is that it's the one place it's the one side of marketing that is truly measurable. So for me, comms and demand gen are inextricable, right? They, they, 
it's the only way to know if something's working. If you're getting opportunities coming into the funnel, then you know that beautiful new logo is working. You know that video actually struck a chord. On the other hand, I've had plenty of like perfectly crafted paragraphs or um, promo videos that didn't get an eyeball. And so something wasn't resonating, something wasn't connect connecting. And so for me, that light bulb and then finding the people that could help me and the systems and tools and I've been lucky enough to grow up with those tools, the marketing automation tools, that measurement visibility that helped to refine, refine my work, refine the work of our team, and then come to the business and say, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're delivering. What do you need from us? Okay, I understand your bookings target. Let me then back that up to what you need from, for us to create in the funnel. And that was really the chasm uh, to get really more of the, earn the seat at the table, I should say. So I, I love how you you connected everything there, and, and it's somewhere I wanted to go next, Catherine, because you know I don't want to downplay the importance of communications or PR in any organization, but in B2B, we don't often see that path of a CMO coming from that background. It, more common perhaps in B2C brands, you know, where you know where a lot right. of it is the way we communicate with mass audiences and in those cases messaging and the way we use even press can be make or break for an organization how how did you find that opportunity to you know was it a demand partner that you had along the way that allowed you to figure out that reporting element or connecting the brand in a way that is measurable when did that all come together for you i would say uh you know, I was lucky along the way to have uh, great teams or to find great teams. And, and you know, my, I love, again, if I think about Advent and spending 10 years in, at one company in tech, that's kind of unusual. And again, it was portfolio counting, but it was such an incredible team to be a part of. They had never had a CMO. And so every step of the way, I kind of benefited from that, but also had to really dig in and prove what marketing could do and was already contributing, but maybe not getting credit for. And so that made it clear what I needed to do to, to define and then earn that seat at the table. It was when I took over the full stack of marketing um, and it really didn't start with the data, Randy. It started with gosh, this team is very far apart from sales. This feels like an island. How do we bring these two groups together? As a B2B marketer, my job is to create and accelerate revenue opportunities. That's what we do. And so when I just am clear about that North Star and impart that to the team over and over, then, then the questions that follow are pretty natural, which is, hey, what do you need from us? What are you guys trying to do on the sales side? And then, you know, you can identify the low hanging fruit. You, you build plans together every year. Our marketing plan is built um, on the heels of the bookings plan and uh, in partnership with this, with my sales leader. And that was the biggest lesson. The measurement follows from there because the sales team's definitely measuring their work. And when you create common alignment, then the metrics fall out that you need to, uh, to, to track that help you get to that top line shared goal around bookings and uh, revenue. Absolutely. No, I, that's a great way to think about it. And, and I wrote down those words, create and accelerate revenue opportunities, because I, I think end of the day, that's a, a great way to talk about the role of a CMO. Now, 
We're going to take a short break here on the podcast, but I want to come back and and talk more about this rebrand because you just hit on the importance of accelerating revenue. Sometimes this idea of rebranding, we think, okay, we're going to take our foot off the gas. We just want to keep you know, piling on to what we've already built, but you made a very conscious effort and we're going to hear about that right after a break on the marketer's journey. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. Catherine just nailed a few words there, this idea of create and accelerate revenue opportunities, that being the role of a CMO of the marketing organization. And this is the reality today. We've moved well beyond creating just pure brand awareness. We've moved beyond the importance of generating MQLs. We have to be able to envision a path all the way to revenue. And as she talks about her role and how her career morphed to become a CMO that's to think not just about communications, but the actual connection between showing ROI, showing impact of the campaigns that we're running. I think this is the realization that a lot of marketers have to look at regardless of what background they start in and that path to a CMO. So Catherine, this idea of rebranding is one that we're going to jump into here. And I'm going to be very honest with you and our listeners. When I heard the CMO of Koros was joining us, I was like, who's Koros? And when I jumped into the weeds and I was like, oh, it's Lithium and Spreadfast. I know these companies very well. And and that's obviously the challenge that comes with the rebrand is re-educating someone even as close to you know MarTech as me to realize that there's been evolution here. And and I'm wondering how you made the business case because this is this is a private equity backed business. It's all about fuel on the fire at that point. That's right. That's right, Randy. And and I think uh, you know we were talking about this idea of proving the value of marketing and the age old tension of making sure, especially in a B2B world, in the B2B marketing world, that we're not the cost center that people want us to think of, that we are a revenue generating, revenue accelerating engine for the company. And rebranding is expensive. It's very hard to measure and it takes a long time and it's messy. And so I have a very high bar for uh, rebranding. And and even back at Advent, where it was a somewhat antiquated, 25-year-old, slightly old-fashioned brand, folks would come in all the time frustrated or seeing something shiny and new and saying, let's change the color, let's do, you know, everybody's got an opinion, as you know, about marketing and style and brand. Uh, And I was very resistant because it's hard to justify that value. 
at Advent, we ended up not changing the name, but at the, uh, at the 30th anniversary, we did do a refresh and that was dramatic, but it was really driven by a massive, uh, change in the product strategy and and therefore the business needed to help change minds and hearts about who this very established company was so we needed to take credit for advent and its established identity but refresh it um, so then fast forward and lithium is uh you know a 10-year company with to your point pretty well known in its space which was community and then it had this social care business which is you know, if you if you are at in line at, at an airline and you tweet a complaint, we help those airlines manage that flow in their contact center. So that was lithium, and then uh, about five months into my arrival, we merged. We bought Spreadfast, which all of a sudden here's a huge player in social marketing, planning, publishing social content. We both recognized we needed to have the full equation. We needed a one place, a one platform for all those conversations, your peer-to-peer -peer conversations, your brand conversations, your care conversations. Your customer doesn't really know, right, Randy? You're, if you ask Spotify something, you just expect it to be answered. You don't know whether it's going to care, marketing, whatever. So we needed to bring these two companies together to have a complete story, but both had established identities. Both were... 10-year-old ten year companies at that point, well-known in their own space. And neither is a perfect name, let's be honest. Lithium is um, either a battery that can explode or a medicine for mental illness. <laughs> and Spreadfast was a great name for social, but I'll let your imagination take you to some other things. And in hindsight, thank God I didn't have the name Spreadfast during a pandemic. So that's too funny. I didn't oh. think of that, but now I now yeah, it's all exactly. I can. Um, so, but here's the thing about names and brands, especially with that kind of equity. First of all, there's real value to your point. If you thought about a social marketing tool, you would think of one of our competitors in Spreadfest. If you thought about community, you'd think of Lithium and one of our competitors. So, even with those question marks around the name, you've got. I had a high. I had to prove to myself in the business that it was worth the investment, that that neither was strong enough. And I, I should say that um, there's so much emotion attached to names too, right? You pick one or the other and um, you're basically saying that the other, the other family's baby is ugly, right? I mean, there's a lot of internal Absolutely. strife that goes with that too. So for a bunch of reasons, it felt like the right thing to do, but if you're in the private equity software world, feelings are not enough to go on. So how do you decide uh, what the right choice is when there's a lot of emotion at stake, a lot of dollars at stake, and when you work with private equity, you've really got to be um, non -emotion, unemotional about it. So I very quickly uh, reached out to an outside firm to, to help us try to apply some data to this question. And what they did was uh, survey a, a meaningful sample of prospect and customer profiles globally to say, what's the value, you know, do you know, who, do you, who have you heard about? So measure awareness and also willingness to buy, meaning like decision, I should say, decision criteria. So in this sample size of companies, who comes to mind? Uh, who do you know? What name do you know? And then also, who would you put in your decision set? And the other question they asked, which became really critical, was what do you know these companies for and what are the ideal attributes? What are the ideal brand traits that you want in a vendor in this space? So 
waited for the data to come back to help us say, is it really clear? Is lithium or spread fast so much more valuable than the other? Uh, and are they known for things that we want to be known for? And what came back was really clear, super crowded competitive set. One was slightly stronger than the other. And it surprised everybody because it was lithium versus Spreadfast, and Spreadfast was a little bit more of the sexier brand. Still very crowded and crowded around the same brand attributes. So here are these two companies we've just paid a bunch of money for, and they're kind of known for the same thing. And it turned out everybody in the space was kind of known for the same thing. And the really interesting part is that what the buyers said they wanted was kind of an open white space, which was around not just expert, but a trusted partner. So you take that and you look and say, okay, well, the investment thesis of bringing these two companies together says it can't just be one plus one equals two. How do we actually, and, and if we pick one or the other, we're anchoring the new company in those, that legacy story. And hey, look, we see this opportunity for the new company to own a, own a space of awareness that is un, uh, uncrowded or less crowded. And so that helped drive the decision um, to make a change that we, we committed to the business that uh, we really think it's time for a new start. Being super clear up front, Randy, that it's going to take a while, right? And we know that it's about two years until you're just starting to see the kind of awareness that you were once known for. So I just a quick question there. And you know, you had to make this argument, mm -hmm. as you said, to, I'm sure, internal stakeholders, the board, the private equity yep. investors. Can you give us first, just quickly, a, a, an understanding of scale of the joint organization that was coming together? Because I think a lot of people associate these rebrands happen very early yeah. in, in, a, in a tech company's life. Mm -hmm. But in this case, these were very mature companies, correct? Right. Both about 10-year-old companies, about the same size. So both uh, about $100 million in revenue and both about 600 or so employees, global customer base, around the same number of customers. Very little overlap in that customer base, but, uh, but very equally sized company. Gotcha. So your answer lines me up to my exact next question, mm -hmm. which is who became the next priority? Once you had everyone on board, investors, internal stakeholders, were you more focused on the prospects you talked about surveying or the customers? Who did you have to get on board with this new brand right out of the gate? You know, Randy, the most important group was the employee base. And that is, I think, the biggest value and my advice, advice I got and advice I, I like to share with folks contemplating this is that the internal payoff of turning the page and ripping off the band-aid of being legacy lithium or legacy spread fast had huge dividends internally. Even for two companies where the values were aligned, we, we, we came into the merger feeling really confident. These are all great people. There's tons of cultural alignment. It's really hard. Even if you've loosely competed, not even, you know, maybe even collaborated on things, it, start, it always feels like us versus them 
until you say, that's it. We are NUCO, and we had to take our time and come up with the right branding. So we were NUCO for a while, and that's awkward. Uh, and there was a lot of like just trying to kind of bite your tongue and bar the door as we tried to get to the right name. But once we said, we're neither anymore, we are a new company, that was the most immediate benefit, honestly, to get a line. That's exciting. Yeah, to build the the path forward and it just sort of freed everybody to say okay enough of the old ways what do we let's figure this out together as a new company that's a great great uh, lesson coming away from it i i think you know my very question you know you think about our buyers first and and not that you're not always thinking about the buyer i mean that's what drove this whole process but you know that internal alignment with a team of 1200 people in your case no no doubt you need them on board or there's going to be a lot of 10-year-old resistance on right. two other sides pulling you down. Catherine, this has been great. We're going to take one more short break here on the marketer's journey. We're going to chat a little bit about how you disconnect. Uh, I'm sure that was fun during a rebrand. <laughs> right after this quick message. So I got to tell you, I had this question on hold, this idea of asking Catherine, who's more important, the customers or the prospects? And she came out of nowhere there with the, the importance of your own employees. And, and she's so right. I realized it myself at Uberflip in 2020, we went through what I called more of a brand realignment, not as much of an overhaul as Catherine overtook. But even then, we changed our messaging, we changed our logo, we changed our decks. A lot of it was maturing the brand, speaking more to the enterprise-like audience that we were going after. And it was really important to us to get everyone in our team to buy in. We went about that through constant communication. We went about that through building a really built out brand guidelines portal uh, that lives on a subdirectory of our site powered by this app called Lingo, which is really cool. And it provided guidance for everyone. It provided buy-in. And that, as she said, even down to the swag, was the key to getting the company to move forward. All right, Catherine, so no question you've had a busy number of years and like you said, a, a wild last year. We've all lived through a pandemic, fortunately for you, as you put it, not with a brand name that you present every day. Uh, but, but how have you made each day flow better when we're in a sense more connected than ever? Yeah, I mean, Randy, I wish I had an easy answer for this one. And I think my biggest lesson is that what worked for me seven months ago, doesn't work now. And, and so even at work, um, as well as at home, this pandemic time has made me sort of rethink a lot of routines. And so for me, I'm a mom of three, I'm a working mom of three. So I have three, uh, tweeners at home and that's been the, uh, silver lining of this is that I was traveling constantly with my old job. And so, uh, not, sorry, not with my old job. Well, it kind of is an old job now. If you <laughs> yeah. that way, right? right. It's almost like uh, I, my kids are the age of watching. We're watching all the Avengers and the, the new Disney series. And I feel like the blip, which is they talk, they talk about in the Avengers. That's I feel like we're in the blip. We're just coming out of the blip. I'm not really sure whether it was 10 years or two months. Or such, a, such a great analogy. 15 months. Yeah. 
so anyway, in the in my in the old ways of working, I used to travel all the time, and uh, and that has not happened. I miss that. To be honest, sometimes that helped me disconnect a little bit on the personal side, just to get on a plane and um, and hide out and have room service. That was one of my guilty pleasures. Uh, but but in but being home um, has been some awesome outside time. I live in San Francisco, and we are uh, you know a 10 minute walk into the Presidio. I actually grew up here, Randy. I have never in my 40 plus years <laughs> spent as much time in the Presidio as we did this past year. So very grateful for that. Um, I also read a lot, which has helped me. I don't, it's nothing impressive. I read fiction only practically. I hardly read all the cool business stuff. For me, fiction is a place to just completely a disconnect and some of it's fancy fiction and i've also read all of the bridgerton novels there you go there you go well you've, you've definitely given us some tips for escaping whether it's a blip or whether it's a, a pandemic that forces us there is is not what we need but you know sometimes it forces us to to rethink how we structure and you know catherine you've given us so many different ideas for structure professionally personally today i can't thank you enough for sharing if you're tuning into this podcast for the first time coming across this, listening in, listening to some of the other great guests that we've had, all charting a path, a journey to the CMO level. One day I hope you'll share yours on this podcast. This has been The Marketer's Journey. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, at uberflip.com slash podcast, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. 